Welcome to In Layman's Terms, a podcast dedicated to discipleship and putting scripture to use in our daily lives. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. I'm the Communications Director for the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, comprised of approximately 1,000 churches in Kansas and Nebraska. As the title of this podcast suggests, I'm not ordained clergy, so what I share comes to you in layman's terms. I have more than 20 years of experience teaching the Bible to everyone from teens to 90-somethings, and I'm excited to share what Scripture has to say to us in today's society, and I love to tell stories of how people live their faith. Some episodes focus on a person or church doing great things to serve as the hands and feet of Christ. Some episodes include interviews with experts who can help us along our faith journey. And other episodes include some short reflections on Scripture. Thank you for joining me. Couple of years ago, my wife and I were seeing the sights in the Philadelphia area and took a detour to the Eastern State Penitentiary. It's just a museum now, a pile of ruins really, a metaphor of sorts for the people who were tormented there from the late 1820s until the prison was closed in 1971. I'll confess, we went because of the ghost stories. Kind of appropriate for an episode coming out in late October, don't you think? Well, we wanted to see the cells and hear the stories. Actor Steve Buscemi provided the narration on the self-guided tour, and we did have a couple of creepy moments as we walked through the ruins. But one of the scariest parts of the entire tour, amid those cold gray stones, was a graphic art piece built into, of all places, what I think was the recreation yard within the walls. It depicted the rate of incarceration in the United States for each decade starting in 1900. The bars rise a little in 1930, but with occasional decreases, notably the 1920s and 1970s. But then the eye goes to 1980. The graph doubles in 1990, rises one-third higher again in 2000, and ends at its highest point in 2010. A simple explanation panel at the bottom provides the sobering detail. The incarceration rate in our country increased 600% from 1970 to 2010. 600%. Now, with so many people in prison... More than 2.5 million people. It's impossible to get every one of those cases, from plea bargains to simple trials to high-profile, made-for-court-TV kinds of cases, correct. Estimates range from 1% to 5% of people in prison are actually innocent. Not because of a technicality that violated the rights of that person who actually did commit a serious crime. We're talking about actually innocent. They didn't do it. That means anywhere from 25,000 to 125,000 people are in prison today, just in the United States, who are innocent of the crime for which they were convicted. That's where a relatively young organization, just two years old, it's a ministry really, named Miracle of Innocence, comes into play. I want to introduce you to the Reverend Daryl Burton. He was just ordained an elder in the United Methodist Church at the Great Plains Conference Ordination Service on October 3rd, 2020. Miracle of Innocence was inspired by me and a gentleman by the name of Lamont McIntyre. And both of us just, in my story, I was sent to prison, served 24 years as an innocent man. Lamont served 23 years as an innocent man. But when we came home, and the, you know, the, the impetus for Miracle of Innocence basically was born out of the fact that when I come home, there was nothing in place for me, no resources no compensation, no support. I mean, and people supported me, I won't say none, because the church have always been there for me and helpful. But by way of those who commit crimes when they come home, uh, the government, or the, you know, they have some things in place like reentry, second chance, first step, second act, all these different programs uh, that are set aside to help people who committed the crimes. But someone who was innocent like myself and like Lamont, nothing was av- available to us. In fact, uh, one of the organizations said, you guys need to start something for yourself because you don't qualify for our benefits. And so that's how Miracle Innocence was really born. Uh, I was homeless for a minute right here in Kansas City for you know a day or so. Uh, couldn't get a job for two years, it was a struggle. I needed housing, I needed transportation, I needed communication, I needed identification, I, all these things I needed. And we know that innocent people, when they come home, you're just a blank slate. You've been gone for 20, 30 years, and when you try to get a job, well, an employer look at you and see, well, you have no work history for 25, 30 years. Where have you been? 
and of course trying to explain, hey, I was in prison, you know, for murder as an innocent man. Uh, I mean, that don't go too far with some employers. So that was that was the challenge, and that's why we started Miracle of Innocence, and we know it's an organization to help innocent people get out. Help innocent people get out of prison. But that's just the first part of what they do. They then help these innocent people, people who have had years, entire decades in most cases, taken from them. In this episode of In Layman's Terms, we're going to hear about Miracle of Innocence, what it does, and why. You'll also hear briefly the story of Lamont McIntyre, a man convicted of a crime he did not commit in 1994 in Kansas City, Kansas. And you'll hear in much more detail the story of Reverend Darrell Burton, who now splits time as a congregational care pastor at United Methodist Church of the Resurrection in Leewood, Kansas, and with the ministry he helped found, Miracle of Innocence. Miracle of Innocence just had its first successful exoneration, a man named Ralph McElroy. Here again is Darrell Burton to tell the story. Well, that was Ralph McElroy, a 17-year-old kid who was sent to prison in 1987, I believe. He served 33 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Now, here it was that Ralph had had two law firms that's helping him. He had Hush Blackwell, then he also had Kent Gibson and a lawyer by the name of Taylor Rickett helping to bring this young man home. And now, when I say two law firms, one law firm was working on a track where 17-year-old kids get sent to prison that's unconstitutional. So they was working to bring him home. And we, of course, working to free him by way of innocence. So that happened first with this law firm and Miracle of Innocence being a part of it. So we're still in the middle of uh, uh, proving this young man's innocence. He got out about three weeks ago tomorrow. So in late September, 33 years after he was sent to prison for a crime Ralph McElroy did not commit. Getting this man out of prison, though, is only the first hurdle. Uh, he's glad to be home, but he's overwhelmed. He's overwhelmed with society and all the different technologies and advances and devices. Uh, just like Ralph went into a grocery store with his, his I think it was Anna, his grandmother, one uh, that was 90-some years old. He's just excited. He's going to go and pick up stuff from the grocery store for his grandmother and put it in the shopping cart, and he was with a cousin, and he got there and he froze. He didn't know what to do. His grandmother was asking for certain things. He didn't know where to go, and uh, it just overwhelmed him to tears. And so we understand that that's, you know, that's what it's going to be like for a person coming home. Here's Daryl Burton's partner at Miracle of Innocence, Lamont McIntyre. Miracle of Innocence is important to me because three years ago, I was in that exact same situation, that desperate situation, that hopeless situation. Um, I, I, felt, I felt the pressures of not having my life, and I know exactly how that feel when someone else in that situation reach out for help. I've been blessed with the opportunity to have my life back. I want to I want to be able to help as many men and women as I can help regain their life and get their life back, regain their freedom, man. It's just a thing that no one would understand had they not. See, we got the group of us, the organization that we started, the group of us, the small um, brotherhood of exonerees that we have that's growing by the day. We the only ones that can relate to where we what each other's going through. So to be on both sides of it, I just can't sit back knowing that it's innocent men and women in prison and not do anything about it. So all my time and energy and my effort goes towards helping men and women get their life back. This is an important ministry, and it's critical from a purely humane standpoint. Now, I'm no legal expert, but I have heard something that I bet you've heard as well. It's known in legal circles as Blackstone's Ratio. It states, quote, it is better that 10 guilty persons escape than one innocent suffer, unquote. Now that statement's been tweaked and manipulated in many ways over the years. One way I've heard it stated the most is, it's better for guilty people to go free than for one innocent person to be punished. If we agree with this principle, then we have to be willing to do what it takes to help innocent people to get out of prison. Here again is Daryl Burton. It's costly. Uh, it could go anywhere from $100,000 to $350,000. That's what it could cost. And I asked the organization who helped me get out was Centurion, first organization to start this whole movement in Princeton, New Jersey. You can learn more about Centurion Ministries on its website, centurion.com. That's C-E-N-T-U-R-I-O-N.com. Author John Grisham told the story of the organization's founder, Jim McCloskey, in his excellent novel, The Guardians. It's loosely based on McCloskey's work to free innocent people. Grisham even serves on Centurion's board of directors. I said, you guys spent that much money to get me out? And the same amount with Lamont. They said, yes, how much money can you put on a human life when a person is innocent, Daryl? 
it's no amount. We would pay, pay whatever it takes to get you out of prison. And so that's the same philosophy we, uh, philosophy we have. We also want to get them out, help them when they get out, uh, and just provide the kind of support, you know, apparatus and mechanism and wraparound services that they need when they come home. So whatever the cost is. Uh, Christ was an innocent man, and I didn't know that story when I went in, but here it was. He was an innocent man sent to death row, was executed, and as Christians, we believe he was resurrected. And so I ended up in a church called Resurrection. You know, you can't make this stuff up. Another thing you can't make up, the number of people unjustly imprisoned. At least, they say, between 2 to 5% of those incarcerated in the United States prison of 2.5 million people at least 5% are innocent. So I'm just going to use a conservative number. I'm going to say, let's say 1% of those folks are innocent. 1% of 2.5 million people. Well, that's 25,000 people. That's a lot of people. I was amongst that number. I was one of those innocent people. And so that's just uh, for a system to be, I mean, it's a great system and it gets it right, you know, 90, 95% of the time. But if it, get, it, if it gets it wrong 5% of the time, then you're going to convict a lot of people wrongfully. And we know it happened to Jesus and even Joseph in the Bible. So we know these wrongful convictions, they happen. You know, it goes back thousands of years. So I'm nowhere, can be nowhere compared to Christ. So who am I? If it can happen to Christ, then a poor person like me don't stand a chance. Before we learn more about Miracle of Innocence, I want to share one story with you. Lamont McIntyre, he was 17 years old in Kansas City, Kansas in 1994. Man, well... My story started when I was 17. Uh, I was uh, arrested and convicted of two counts of first-degree murder and sentenced to two life sentences uh, in, in prison. So I started when I was very, very young. Um, two guys was murdered, man. And somehow my name got thrown into the mix and I went to prison. The first five years of that whole experience, it was bad. It was like the worst, man. It was... You know, people go through these these moments in their life that they can't really deal with. I was a kid, so I didn't know how to emotionally process what was going on with me. So I was like in shock, and I was just going through so much. And I was filing my petition, my appeals, and going through the motions of doing that stuff. I went through stages where I was angry, I was I was bitter, I was uh, I mean, I went through these stages, right? Because I was so young. Lamont's story started to get a little better when he was volunteering for hospice care in the prison, and he met a dying man named Shorty. I um, mean, that was a needed moment, man. That was a divine intervention for me. Uh, the guy was, I was a part of a hospice program in prison, volunteering. I was a part of a program. And I met this guy that was dying named Shorty. He was, had a lung disease and uh, he couldn't breathe. So his, his lungs was crystallized and, he, and there wasn't no cure for what he had. And uh, he was dying, but he was at peace. And I wasn't, I was, I was a wreck. I was a mess. I didn't sleep, I wasn't eating. I just wasn't in good shape, right? And I met him, and he had this calmness over him. And I asked him, I said, "Why? Well, if you know you're going to die, man, why are you so peaceful? He understood his relationship with God, and that's why from that moment, I started to build my relationship with God. And from that moment, everything I ever spoke on or prayed about, God gave me. From there, everything started to get better. I wrote, I was writing letters. Uh, all over the world trying to get help, man. All these innocent organizations, I wrote letters and letters. I wrote, wrote for Renfrey. I wrote all these different kind of people. Um, and one organization wrote back, and that was Centurion Ministries. And they wrote, I wrote them in 2001. I corresponded with them until 2009 when they took my case. And then I was uh, exonerated in 2017. In case you missed it, Lamont McIntyre first wrote to Centurion Ministries in 2001 and wasn't released until 2017. That's 16 years of waiting. Another thing that happened while McIntyre was seeking his freedom was an introduction to Daryl Burton, his eventual partner at Miracle of Innocence. I'll apologize in advance. Our Zoom connection wasn't quite the best at the time during this conversation. I was in prison and I was talking to my lawyer one day and I was telling her that this is I'm so tired. I'm broke down. I'm just, I'm so anxious and ready to come home. And I'm just, I'm, I was going through, I was going through it. So she said, my lawyer said, the only person she know who can relate to me is Daryl Burton, which was a person that she helped get out years before me. Uh, and I reached out to him from while I was in prison. And um, he, we spoke and um, then I came home. And when I came home, he and I had a conversation. He said, I got this idea. 
He said, how about us doing what, what just was happened to you, what was done for you? Let's do somebody else. I said, enough said, let's do it. And we did it. We formed Miracle of Innocence two years ago, and it's been like that ever since. Once Miracle of Innocence was born, the real work began. Each client has to be vetted. What happens is the person would write us. They write Miracle of Innocence, which we're getting letters by, you know, the hundreds now. I mean, on a monthly basis, we may get 50 to 100 letters uh, at our mailbox. We take a look at the letter. We have a research development team. They take a look at the letter. They write the person back. They ask them to fill out a questionnaire. They take a look at that. And then if there are some indications or some red flags in the case that we think this person may fit our criteria, then we would let them know that, hey, well, there are some other documents we'd like to take a look at. We may have to do what's called a FOIA, Freedom of Information mm -hmm. Act, to get some additional information. And so if this person is someone that we think has, you know, the kind of case that we want to, you know, develop and investigate, then we would take that case. And not everybody meet the criteria. Some people may have a case that can be technically, uh, what you call technical in innocence, or something like innocence where he was around the corner, his friend did a crime, he drove his friend to, you know, X, Y, and Z spots. Well, that's not innocence for us. It has to be factual innocence and actual innocence, you know, not a legal innocence, you know, in that regard. So, the so only not, case we're not talking technicalities We're not here. talking technicality. We're talking 100% innocence. That means you had absolutely nothing to do with the crime, you know, and, and in cases just like my own, don't fit the description. Three or four people said, uh, meet him to light-skinned guy. Well, I'm never going to be light-skinned. <laughs> you know, uh, you know. if there's a, a case where a person's name, like in the Ralph case who we just got out, three or four people gave the name of the suspect the day of the crime, uh, which it just baffles, you know, the mind to see that, you know, how could you not go in, you know, and the guy was still there in the neighborhood and, and, and out in society. How could they not go in, you know, and take a look at this guy? But sometimes they just rush to judgment. They grab somebody and, hey, you know, and it's almost like anybody will do it from the poor community. If you're poor, you don't have money. Mm -hmm. Doesn't make any difference. Uh, once you get in front of a, a judge and a jury and a prosecutor, in some cases, which is wrong. But that's, you know, the process. That's, you know, what we call, you know, that's kind of like the elevated version of the process. Make no mistake, this is an expensive process. Right. Well, that's where the bulk of the money goes uh, as it relates to $350,000 goes to attorney fees, investigation, goes to some of the expert witness testimony that's needed. It goes to maybe there's some DNA uh, requirements or something like that. But we have some attorneys who help us at a reduced rate than what they would normally charge. We have some attorneys that do what's called pro bono mm -hmm. services. They help out for free. We have several attorneys who want to volunteer and, and come on and help us. They're just waiting in the wings uh, until we get more cases or take more cases. And we won't take a case until we know we have the resources, the money to represent that case. And so, I mean, even if uh, we got some attorneys who want to do some work for free, we don't have the case right now to help them because uh, we just haven't taken the case. So how many people are involved right now in Miracle of Innocence, uh, volunteer staff, whatever? We have on volunteer staff, we have, well, we have a cadre of volunteers, but for us, the what we call the development volunteers, the research volunteers, we have about seven people, seven or eight people who are doing the actual research development of the cases. Then we have another 30, 40 people who volunteer to help us. Like we're having a gala that's coming up October the 28th of this month. Uh, at seven o'clock, we if we were live in person, the volunteers would be greeters. They, you know, they would help us with the live auction, with the silent auction. They would help us, you know, gather uh, name tags, you know, for those the guests that would come. So, but now that we you know, virtual everything and it's a free uh, gala, our volunteers are pretty much just you know they meet us by Zoom. They met Ralph, and we just kind of just go over uh, things uh, as it relates to with some of Ralph needs and how the volunteers can try to help him by way of virtual uh, mm -hmm. support in, in this case. And people, you know, of course, like to, you know, give their phone numbers if he'd like to talk to somebody, you know. Daryl Burton mentioned a gala. It's a virtual gathering to celebrate this ministry and to help people understand how they can help. It starts at 7 p.m. October 28th and attendance is free. Check out more about Miracle of Innocence and register for the gala at the organization's website, miracleofinnocence.org. The gala this time, this uh, time around, yeah, is called Turning Dreams into Reality. Mm -hmm. uh, turning Dreams into Reality. So it is, it is a dream uh, to know that we, you know, we've helped somebody come home just like we were helped. Yeah. 
The gala is meant to help the organization raise money not just to get innocent people out of prison, but to help them reacclimate themselves to society after they're out. It's not an easy process. Once a person get out, uh, which is that's the first you know part of this whole innocence process. But then, what do you do after you get out? Some organizations get you out and then pretty much you know turn you over to your family or whatever and say, hey, you know we just wish you a great life. Well, we're not that kind of organization. I mean, and it's great. They did, you know, the, the main thing is getting someone out. But we know from experience, you need help. You need counseling, support, you know, you need help with housing, transportation, communication. And this is what we help people with, mentorship. And then men Lamont become mentors for someone who just come home because we've been there. We walked in those shoes. So we know what this person is going through. We know when they get depressed, they get overwhelmed, you know, when they feel anxious and they feel, you know, that they, this is just way too much. You know, they can call us and we not only they call us, but we continue to check on them uh, every week, you know, sometimes twice a week. We have an MSW, some couple of social workers who also support us and help us with these uh, reentry innocent people. So and we meet with this, the case workers, the social workers, rather, uh, once a week as well. And, uh, and they, you know, on through Zoom and they just talk to us. Uh, I'm, I'm on the Zoom meeting, the Mots on the Zoom meeting, Ralph and other exonerees in the community also uh, get on the Zoom meeting and welcome to it. So they have, we have a place to go where we can talk to one another and uh, and we can share and to know that, hey, I'm not alone because we know how isolated it feels when everybody around you know everything about this world except you. You don't know anything. Mm. You just don't know anything. Our discussion shifted focus back to Ralph McElroy. The first man miracle of innocence was able to help regain his freedom. It struck me that he went into prison still a kid, just 17 years old. He came out a couple of years older than me, 33 years later at age 50. His prime adult years were spent behind bars. That's a middle-aged man. That's right. He started over at middle age and you retired, what, 65, 67, whatever the numbers are. So he and he hasn't paid anything into the retirement, you know, mm-hmm. fund. So he don't have any Social Security that he has saved up, no savings, no 401k, you know, no retirement, you know, no health care coverage. He don't have any of these things, mm-hmm. you know, that uh, those of us who've been in society have been working for. Uh, you have something that, you know, at, when you hit a certain age that, you can hopefully, you know, have some benefits there. Well, he don't have that, you know, and he don't have enough time to try to pay into that. I mean, he can pay into whatever he can, but then what would it look like uh, 15, 16 years from now when he hit that age? I mean, he's going to have to work just like I feel like when I come home. I have to work for the rest of my life. Um, I didn't get compensated. The state didn't offer me any kind of compensation. They don't give you anything unless you uh, get a lawsuit and you perhaps get some kind of compensation that way. But other than that, uh, you just, we have to you know, work toward, you know, putting something away for when we get, you know, older and, and hopefully try to get some health care coverage because uh, if you have a, a bad, mm-hmm. you know, health experience, it could, it could devastate mm-hmm. you. Yeah. And that could devastate somebody who's never been through what we've been through. That shared experience is one filled with joy at finally regaining freedom. But Lamont McIntyre was able to articulate something that I admit I was curious about. But in all honesty, I just didn't know how to ask someone who had been through such a traumatic experience. I know how desperate I was, man. I was so, for years, you go through that kind of situation, hoping somebody to hear you, hoping somebody to believe in you. And when you finally get somebody to believe in you and you finally developed enough hope to follow through with what you believe, that feeling is priceless. So now I'm stuck on making sure that everybody in that situation is, is wrongfully convicted feel that same thing so I'm dedicated to the cause because of it that's I can't go to sleep I love my life my life is to me my life is perfect to me my life is just the way I want it I don't need for anything uh everything everything I wanted to do I'm doing and I still feel like survivor's remorse somehow man survivor's remorse I can't even imagine So we've learned about Miracle of Innocence, and we heard a little bit about Lamont McIntyre's story. When we return to in layman's terms, we're going to hear Daryl Burton's story. It's a story of a man who went into prison a bitter young man wrongfully convicted. And it's a story of a man who regained his freedom on earth, but also came to know the freedom that comes with a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
How does your church celebrate big events? How does it gather the community together? How does it sometimes introduce you to people you might not have known? Many times in the Great Plains, it's with a potluck dinner. And that's what we try to do with our podcast, Potluck. This is David Burke from the Great Plains Conference and host of Potluck, where we do, in audio form, all the things a potluck dinner does. Celebrate big events, gather the community, and introduce you to new and interesting people. Listen to Potluck, available at greatplainsumc.org. Matthew 28 tells us to make disciples of Jesus Christ. But how can you do that? You can help by providing some inspiration each morning to someone else. Just go to www.greatplainsumc.org slash dailydevotions. Once there, you'll find a QR code and a link to a sign-up page. Pick your day and your topic. If you need some assistance, there's even a link to the Vanderbilt University Daily Lectionary. Follow the instructions for submitting your devotion, and you've done your part to help inspire and encourage others in their Christian walk. Again, that's www.greatplainsumc.org slash dailydevotions. Help make more disciples today. Welcome back to In Layman's Terms. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. In this episode, we're talking about Miracle of Innocence, a ministry partially housed at United Methodist Church of the Resurrection, where one of the organization's co-founders, the Reverend Daryl Burton, serves as a congregational care minister in addition to his work of helping innocent people regain their freedom from prison. Daryl's story is incredibly compelling. It's heartbreaking. In places, it's kind of blunt. But that's the reality of the life he's lived. So listener discretion may be advised for this next little section. Let's hear Daryl's story in his own words. Yeah, well, in 1984, I was arrested for the crime of capital murder and no criminal action. Capital murder meant that if I was convicted, that I was facing one of two sentences. That's either life or death. Capital murder, espionage, and treason are the only three crimes in the United States, and I'm aware of, that if you get convicted, that's what you're going to either get, life without parole or the death penalty. So this is what I'm facing. I'm about 22 years old. I was a new dad. My girl had just had a little girl, seven months old. I saw my little girl three times. I just enrolled in college uh, and didn't get a chance to go to college. Went to a different kind of college, I would call it the school of hard knocks. Uh, and didn't get to see my little girl again until she was 25. They brought me into this case on the strength of two witnesses, two eyewitnesses. That was it. No motive, ballistic, DNA, confession, weapon, fingerprint, nothing connected me to the crime. But these guys came to court, raised their hand and gave, and gave an oath, and, and swore to tell the truth and lied. I had a lawyer who was, I called affectionately, a public pretender, uh, which was a public defender. I don't want to, you know, disparage the entire public defender system. But the lawyer who I had pretended to defend me because I saw this lawyer one time for the crime of capital murder. And I was convicted in less than one hour. It happened so quick, it just, it just blow your mind. He saw his public defender once, one time, in a capital murder case. That's amazing to me. Even more amazing is that other information came to light but was not allowed to be shared in open court. And what I learned is that at this trial, the judge, the public defender, my lawyer, and the prosecutor, they had a sidebar in a conversation. No one knew what they were talking about. And they talked about another suspect who not only fit the description, but this other suspect had shot the victim on three different occasions. And the fourth time he shot the man and killed him. And the judge, my lawyer, and the prosecutor agreed not to let the jury hear about that. They said that, it's in the record. They said, we can't let the jury hear about this other guy who shot this man because they were feuding over drug turf. It was a drug war with these two drug gangs. And they kept that away from the jury. So as, I, as you would know, I, I hated the entire criminal justice system. For many years, I was filled with hate and rage and bitterness against this, this system of criminal justice in the United States. I was not a forgiving person and not a person filled with hope. They came in the court, they waived the death penalty, but they sentenced me to life without parole for 50 years plus 25 years consecutive. So that meant I had to spend 75 years in prison before I would have been eligible for parole. 
the, the judge allowed me to talk at the sentencing hearing, and I said to the court, to the judge, I said, you, Yana, you, this court, the prosecutor, police, this defense attorney, the witness, you all are part of conspiracy. You're framing me. You confiscate my freedom, and I'm an innocent man. The judge said, well, I didn't find you guilty. Your lawyer didn't find you guilty. If you're mad at anyone, be mad at the jurors. That's who find you guilty. I said, but Yana, you saw those men come in here and lie on me. You saw them submit perjured testimony against me, and you can do something about it. He said, this court and no other court is going to overturn what 12 jurors of your peers have decided against you. And he was right. No court would. But the last thing I said to that judge is, I don't know how long it's going to take, but I'm going to fight this case till I prove that I'm innocent. And they took me out of the courtroom, put me in shackles, five-point shackles is what they call them, two on your wrist, one on your waist, two on your ankles. Mm -hmm. And they took me to this place called MSP, Missouri State Penitentiary. Daryl Burton was now a convicted felon. As bad as that sounds... Things were about to get worse. The nightmare really was only just beginning. You know, mm -hmm. If you ask your phone, the bloodiest 47 acres in America, the image of that prison is going to pop up. That's where they sent me. Every day, three men got stabbed or assaulted. Brutal place and a huge banner. Uh, every inmate saw it going through the door. And it's about as big as this whiteboard here. And it said, welcome to the Missouri State Penitentiary. Leave all your hope, family, and dreams behind. That was the introduction into that prison, and they meant that. There's no hope for you here. No hope. Family can't help you, and your dreams would literally be nightmares. You know, and it's a huge banner, bigger than that whiteboard, actually. And, uh, and every man came through that door, you knew that this is going to be different. Something about this place is different. You could feel like you're, tra you're, you're trans being transported from one dimension to another. So when they opened those big old black gates, this bus we was on was driving down the side of this, you know, this prison, it's like everything went into slow motion. I mean, even though we was in real time, but it's like this gate came coming open real slow, and then you get these guards, you know, who had these kind of smirks or scowls on their faces. It's like, you know, these are not going to be nice people. Right. Uh, you're not coming into Alice in Wonderland and things like that. And they stripped us down, and they made us get, you know, in the nude, 30, 40 men standing there nude. They sprayed us with buck spray on the arms, genitals, and buttocks. And was very humiliating and assigned us these prison identification numbers. The number they assigned me was 153063. And he stamped it on everything that was connected to me. Pants, coats, socks, caps, underclothes. Mm. And I hated that number. I, I hated it. I'm like, I'm not a number. You branded me like I'm an animal. And they would call that number over the intercom system. Burton 153063. Report to the captain's office. Report to your job site. Report here. Report there. Sometimes I refused to go. I, I wouldn't go. Because I was so angry, and I'm like, nah, you, you know, call me as if I'm some animal. Right. And the guards would get angry. They would come and say, didn't you hear your number being paid? So no, I heard your number being paid. What? Well, it's not my number. I'm not a number. And they said, well, if you don't direct, uh, if you don't obey that direct order and come and that number's being called, we're going to put you in the hole. And I said, really? Put me in the hole? This whole prison is a hole. I'm already there. But they was talking about an ad seg, solitary confinement, mm -hmm. where you're in a cell 23 hours out of a day. Probably a third of this size. This probably would be three cells. We're having this conversation in Daryl Burton's office at Church of the Resurrection. My guess is this is a 12 by 12 or a 14 by 14 room, just for reference. And, uh, and they meant you had human, no human contact, very limited human contact. And they did that. And then a few days later, I was like, get me out of the hole. I knew it was a personal question, but I also knew Daryl had shared details before. So I asked him to describe some of the things he saw and experienced over his 24 years behind bars. Some of the things that I want you to hear is your listeners to, to hear about this place is how brutal and how evil this place was. Now, I wasn't a Christian at the time, wasn't a believer. I was not a God, you know, fearing man. But I knew evil when I saw it, and I mean top-down evil. Administrators, people who worked there, guards inmates this was an evil experience and i would never forget the screams unbelievable screams uh man who was screaming like coming from deep within inside of their soul and when i did read the bible i learned this uh this scripture when jesus said there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth i said man this is what he's describing this is what we're in right now uh unbelievable and some of those men who were screaming like that because they had been sent to prison for harming women and children and if you've ever heard that everybody hates the the guy who was the molester or the, you know, the sexual predator, they, everybody hated him. And those guys were just brutalized first and foremost, and some of them were innocent. 
which is another reason why mm -hmm. we were inspired to start Miracle of Innocence because those screams, I would never, I would never speak out. I was too afraid. I wouldn't speak up. Wouldn't help those individuals, uh, whether they were innocent or not. I, I just didn't like to hear how mm -hmm. people were being assaulted and brutalized. But when you know, it's just you're thinking about yourself. You can't say nothing. You just paralyzed. Me and this other guy were going to different sales. We had our bed linens, clothes, and our own. They lock us behind what they call JC gates, these tall gates, bars thick as your wrist, and they have these six-inch skeletal keys. When they lock that gate, that's your only way in, and that's your only way out. And we got past this gate. They locked this gate, and we heard some rumbling. Boom, 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 and we turned and looked around. The first day, day number one, in that unit, we saw two men chasing two other men, and they were stabbing them with these wow. big old homemade knives, stabbing these guys, blood just, I mean, this was day number one. The day that I was released, all of the 29th, 2008, they were rushing a man to the prison infirmary, the hospital. A guy had cut his throat from ear to ear, trying to decapitate him. That was the day I got out. And the day that I, first day I went into that housing unit, and so much more in between. I could just talk for just days, and you can't unsee these things. I can't, right. just like what we saw with, unfortunately with George Floyd, you know, that happened. I, we can't unsee that. Well, I can't unsee a lot of those brutal things that I witnessed in that prison that was just horrible. Daryl knew he was innocent, so he couldn't just sit still. He couldn't just accept the wasting away of his life. I began to work on my case. I began to file motions and pleadings with the courts and, and every court that I could think of. And I kept getting denied. Like the judge said, no court would overturn you know, the conviction. No court would hear my claims of innocence all the way from state, federal, local, Supreme Court, everybody just kept denying me. Then I went on a letter writing campaign and I wrote hundreds and hundreds of letters from the United States to Canada, to Europe, heads of states, presidents, governors, senators, representatives, Oprah Winfrey. I wrote the church and I heard that the church was supposed to help the sinners. I said, well, I'm in that club mm -hmm. <laughs> and the church wouldn't help me. And this, so in 1990, I saw this organization, Centurion. It was called Centurion Ministries at the time, based out of Princeton, New Jersey the first organization in the world to help innocent people get out of prison. 1990, they was on 60 Minutes helping a lady get out of a Texas prison for serving time for a murder she didn't commit. I said, well, they helping innocent people get out of prison. They got to help me too. So I wrote them in 1990. They wrote me back and said these words, uh, pretty much verbatim. They said, yes, we help free innocent people, but we're a small organization with limited resources, and we get a thousand requests every year from inmates who claim to be innocent. Out of all those requests, out of a thousand requests, we take two, maybe three cases a year. If we take your case, it'll be 10 years before we get to it. I said, well, I'm going to write you for 10 years. <laughs> mm -hmm. I got time. I got 75 years, so I got time to write. And I did. Wrote them for 10 years. They took my case in 2000 and got me out in 2008. To catch you up, Daryl Burton was convicted in 1984 at the age of 22. He heard about Centurion Ministries in 1990, and he started to write to them. It took his case in 2000 and he finally regained his freedom in 2008. As what happened with Lamont McIntyre, Daryl Burton's life turned around, even in prison, by entering into a relationship with Jesus the Christ. But here's where things begin to turn for me. In 1998, the year that I would have been executed had I received the death penalty, is the most important letter I have written in my life. It was to Jesus Christ, literally, pen and paper. And I said these words, Dear Jesus, if you're real and you know all things, you and I know I'm innocent. If you help me get out of this place, not only would I serve you, but I'd tell the world about you. Sincerely yours, Daryl Burton. Didn't have a mailing address, folded the letter up, put it under my mattress for two days and got rid of it because I knew if the guards find that letter, they're going to say, this guy's going, you know, he's losing, going batty. <laughs> he don't believe in God. He don't even go to church. And he's writing letters to, to Jesus. Now, I can go on and get on the yard and fight somebody, get into a knife fight. That's normal. But writing letters to Jesus, to God, that's not normal that place. Mm -hmm. it's, everything is illogical. It's backwards. But at any rate, not thinking much of the letter except to say that when I challenged God, I knew he wasn't going to really answer. <laughs> and so on. And when people talk to me about Jesus and God, I said, look, well, I've written him a letter. He hasn't answered my mail. So I don't, don't talk to me about Jesus and your God. Human beings did this to me. Let's deal with human beings. That's what we got to deal with. This is my reality. The humans, not God. You know, nothing, you know, supernatural. That, that was my attitude. But Three things happened. The organization, the first organization to help innocent people get out of prison, first sign is that the organization was called Centurion. When Jesus was being crucified, you know, in Luke's gospel, mm -hmm. in chapter 23, verse 47, Jesus being crucified, a Centurion says, surely this man was innocent. That's where they got the name Centurion from. 
That's the first sign. The second sign is that the man who founded the organization called Centurion, his name is James. One mm -hmm. of Jesus' apostles' name is James, and even one of his brothers. That's the second sign. But the kicker for me is the third sign. The woman, the lead attorney who helped me get out of prison, her and some other attorneys, but she was the lead attorney, uh, has a law firm right here in Kansas City, downtown. Her name is Cheryl Pilot, as in Pontius Pilot. You can't make this stuff up. <laughs> A blind man, Ray Charles, to see somebody was trying to get in touch with me. And I remember my grandmother said years ago when I got away from the church, boy, one of these days, you're going to need Jesus. I hope you remember to call on him. She said that, and she was right. Well, I still wouldn't believe. I still didn't want to accept this God thing. Someone challenged me to read the Bible for myself, and they said, if you get a Bible with red letters, those are quotes straight out of Jesus' mouth. I said, well, that's what I want to read, the red letters. What did Jesus? What did he say? He said, love your enemy. Now, I hate all these people, lawyers, prosecutors, judges. <laughs> He said, love him. I mean, man, what kind of religion is this? I can't do that. And the second thing he said was pray for him. I wasn't a religious person. I said, yeah, Jesus, I pray for him. I pray a building for the one of them fools. That's what I prayed for. That's, that's what my heart was at. The third thing, this was the, the hardest challenge of all. Jesus said was to forgive him. I said, see, that's why I can't believe in this religion stuff. This don't work in this today's society. Until I kept reading what Jesus was beat, spit on, with a cat of nine and tail, the crown of thorns, put on his head until it bled. And then he said at the cross, one verse in the Bible, again, Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, verse 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That verse pierced my heart. I said, that's divine. That's not human. How could this guy do that? They're killing him, and he's innocent. I learned about the story, and so I began to pray for those people through cleansed teeth. I'm going to pray for them, Jesus. You know what they did to me. Make them turn around. You know they let them. I was just so angry. I'm praying for somebody I hated. And I kept praying, and I just said, God, I can't do it. It's too hard for me. And something whispered to me into my spirit and said, no, Daryl, you can't forgive them. But I can forgive them through you if only you would let me. And I see that's how the forgiveness works. Then I went back and I looked at that verse and I saw Jesus couldn't forgive them either in his humanness. That's why he said, Father, forgive them for they know not mm -hmm. what they do. And it crystallized. It just it was like an epiphany. I see. I said, God can forgive through us if we just let him. Daryl Burton's body was still incarcerated but now his soul was free. The shackles cut loose by the blood of the Savior. But remember that promise Daryl made. If Jesus would just help him get out of prison, Daryl would tell the world about the Christ, the Messiah. Centurion Ministries helped free Daryl from his earthly prison. The lawyers went back and they found that there was a woman, the gas station attendant, the night the crime was committed. The guy was shot and killed on a service station lot. Well, she told the police the day of the crime and she told them, the day of the trial in 1985, 84 to 85, you've got the wrong man. That man is not the man who committed the crime. He's too dark. My dark skin was coming in my rescue. This was not a young woman. She had moved away to Baltimore, Maryland. They found her and brought her back to Missouri. She said she'd been waiting to tell a court a judge that's an innocent man in prison, Daryl Burton. That didn't come out to 2007. <laughs> they also discovered that one of the key witnesses for the prosecution said he only had a couple of years that he was facing in jail. Well, he was facing 30 years in jail, which is what motivated him to come and lie on me. They said he had a couple of convictions. He had 12 convictions, minimum of felony convictions. He had done something like this before in another murder case. He had made deals, you know, with the police and, and prosecutors. And five months after he testified against me, he signed a sworn affidavit saying he lied in my case, wanted to recant it and to retract it because he, he submitted perjured testimony against me in my case. None of that came out to 2007. So, mm -hmm. miracles. And that's why we came up with the name for our organization, Miracle of Innocence. As I heard one attorney say, to, to, to get an innocent person out of prison, all the galaxies and the stars and the constellations in the universe have to line up perpendicular. And then a miracle would happen for an innocent person to finally be set free. Yeah, and that, that is correct. I believe that. You know, everything has to line up perfectly to get these cases overturned. So how exactly does a man who didn't believe in God going into prison end up a pastor outside of prison? Daryl explains. Well, that was my wife, actually. I was out giving, I just wanted to go around, like I said to Jesus, I'd tell the world about it. So I was just keeping my word. So I was going around the country and other countries. I was, you know, going a lot of places, just sharing what God had did for me and just sharing, you know, uh, with the world as best as I could, you know, about how God, you know, gave me this message of hope and forgiveness. Hope and forgiveness. And an acronym for the word hope is hold on, pain ends. So I just wanted to share that with, with as many people as possible. Well, my wife said, you know, you're called to preach, you're called to ministry. I said, well, let me find out what preachers do. I need to enroll in seminary. 
so I can learn because there's more than just reading scriptures. I'm sure of that. And I enrolled in St. Paul School of Theology and I learned that, yes, it's a lot more that goes to, you know, not just preaching and preparing a sermon, but the history, you know, of, of, mm-hmm. of theology and, you know, and of the Bible and of the Old and New Testament and of all of those saints and the communion of saints and, uh, and the Holy you know, communion in and of itself and, and, the, uh, and the sacrament. So it was just so much to learn, and, and it still is. And so I said to Jesus, I would serve and tell the world about him, serve and tell the world. And so I guess this is part of the journey. And now I'm, as you say, I just was ordained uh, as a pastor. And so I think this is just part of, you know, uh, my commitment to God to continue keep, to keep my keep, word. You're keeping your word. Keep my word, yes. Keeping your word. So, uh I didn't know this was going to be part of the, the package, but you know, it, it, this is what comes with it. As Daryl Burton said, he enrolled in St. Paul School of Theology in 2012. A year later, he joined the staff at Church of the Resurrection, the campus on which the seminary calls home. Here's Reverend Adam Hamilton, lead pastor at Church of the Resurrection. I first met Daryl Burton uh, when he was in seminary at St. Paul School of Theology. <clears throat> and hearing his story, I was so taken by his I was taken by his character, his ability to forgive after what was done to him, which was inexcusable, 24 years in prison uh, you know, for a, cr- a crime he didn't commit. And, uh, and when there was an opportunity for him to join our team here at Resurrection, we were really excited. He's been here for seven years now and has been such a remarkable pastor. But all along, he, you know, he felt this calling to pay it back, you know, to, to look to see. And there's about 3% of the, of the prison population, it's estimated, conservatively estimated, are uh, wrongfully convicted of a crime. And that's about 26,000 people across the country right now who are in prison who did not commit the crime. The DNA at Church of the Resurrection is to address needs in the community and the world. So supporting a ministry that helps free innocent people was a natural fit. 97% of people were guilty. I mean, the prison, the system works 97% of the time. That's pretty good odds, unless you're in the 3%. And so Daryl, you know, Daryl was like, is there any way I can work part-time here at Resurrection? Because my passion is to start this ministry called Miracle of Innocence to... Um, to help uh, exonerate people, to help them have a chance at exoneration uh, if they're in fact innocent and to give them that, that opportunity and then to help them once they're out. Because he said, once I got out, it was really hard to adapt after 24 years in prison to world out, you know, to the world on the outside. And so we were like, that's awesome. We, you know, we want you to, to be able to do that. This is a unique calling God has given you and a, and a unique experience you've had to be able to do that. So we're very proud and very excited of Daryl's work, both on our pastoral team but also in Miracle of Innocence. And uh, and the fact that he's had early success has been amazing too. And my wife and I are sponsors and supporters of the program and so are many people in our congregation. It's just a, uh, it's, you know, it, when the scripture talks about liberating the the prisoners, you know, and, and this is exactly what what Daryl is doing right now. It's, it's pretty cool. What an amazing ministry. What a tremendous effort to help people regain their freedom. I want to give Daryl Burton the last word to tell you how you can help. You can go to miracleofinnocence.org, and there's a way to donate. And we have a, a gala that's coming up October the 28th, Wednesday at 7 o'clock. And I believe you can go to miracleofinnocence slash gala and register right now. And it's free, free to the public. Uh, and, and everybody's welcome to join us. We, Ralph will be there. We're going to talk about his new release. And me and Lamont are going to also tell a little bit about our stories. And the man who got us out, Jim McCluskey, who his book has, you know, been written. John Grisham wrote the forward to his book. John Grisham wrote a book about his life story. And so, yeah, so yeah. that is, uh, he's going to be there as our keynote speaker. Uh, virtually, of course, everything's virtual. But you can, again, go to miracleofinnocence.org and you can click on the donate button to donate. Uh, whether it's, you want to donate, you know, monetarily or if you want to volunteer for the organization, you can also, there's a, uh, I think there is a tab where you can click on to do volunteer work and get involved. And you can just follow us. If you subscribe to MiracleOfMinnesis.org, then you can follow us and you can learn more about the organization or keep up with the organization as it relates to some of the work that we're doing. But but thank you, uh, those who are listening, if you choose to donate to this organization and help us to get innocent people out of prison, just like I was helped. So the mind and I, we're just paying it forward. We're just trying to pay it forward.
Thanks to my guests for this episode. To Lamont McIntyre for sharing his powerful story. Even on a Zoom call, this man's enthusiasm for life comes across crystal clear. Thanks to Reverend Adam Hamilton. And of course, thanks to Reverend Daryl Burton for providing the inspiration for this episode and for taking time with me both just before his ordination in early October and again in his office to tell his story. Please check out that gala for Miracle of Innocence. Again, you can learn more and register at miracleofinnocence.org. Terms is a podcast sponsored by the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church and by me, your host, Todd Seifer. If you liked what you heard in this episode, please go rate us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. It helps other people find us. And please, if you feel so inclined, share us on Facebook or other social media. Our music comes via a licensed subscription with FirstCom Music. You can find archive podcasts on my website, toddseifert.com, or via a link on the conference website, greatplainsumc.org slash podcasts. Feel free to email me any questions or suggestions to tcypher at greatplainsumc.org, and I'll do my best to respond as quickly as possible. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, please do what you can to help make more disciples of Jesus Christ. You can play a small part in helping change a life.